0: hello and welcome to in the kitchen with mary mack today's podcast we are going to look through my cookbook collection or as i call it my horror cookbook collection i've been collecting cookbooks for a long time and i uh have an odd way that I like to collect them. I like to get cookbooks that are um, like community cookbooks is one thing that I like. But my particular favorite is cookbooks that come with appliances, like antique cookbooks that come with appliances. So I have a kind of nice collection of these little pamphlet-style cookbooks and regular cookbooks that came with like electric skillets, pressure canners, ones from a refrigerator It is kind of hysterical, that sort of thing. And then I have a few promotional cookbooks, product cookbooks, that sort of thing that, you know, like from um, one of them uh, is from a company that makes all kinds of knives and stuff like that. I have a really cool cookbook from 1905 that's like a community cookbook with ads in it that we're going to look at. But um, a lot of recipes in them are just hysterical. And last year I participated in a – podcast, uh, the Jagoff podcast, and we were kind of poking fun at the strawberry pretzel jello salad that is so prominent and beloved in Western Pennsylvania. You know, we, people make fun of that. Like it's, I don't know, I don't even know why they would make fun of it. It's a good, it's a good thing, the strawberry pretzel jello Salad and people bring it to all kinds of picnics, and people enjoy eating it. I don't know why it's made fun of other than because it's the idea of um, making something with jello. But if you look at these old cookbooks, jello was such a popular thing. I think really because it stretched people's food dollars, I guess would be the way to say it. But well, you could. The, the jello dessert recipes are fine, but it's the jello entrees that are. Bit scary. And salads, yeah. yes. And I mean, and even like people kind of make fun of Jell-O desserts now, but yeah, Jell-O shots are real popular. Like nobody's going to make fun of a Jell-O shot, but you know, but it's one of those kind of things like, you don't think about that, but in earlier decades, um, especially in the 20s and 30s, uh, Jell-O was used to really stretch people's budget because you could Take a little box of Jello that probably cost maybe four or five cents at that time, and chop up some vegetables in it, and and chill it in a little bowl, and make it look like a fancy thing. You know, if you had nothing, so it'd be kind of a fancy, pretty, shiny, wiggly salad. <laughs> you know, um, but these are uh, reminiscent of the uh, used to be very popular for main courses, uh, side dishes, and desserts. Was a thing called an aspic. And it was basically gelling something, like people would gel bits of meat in meat broth and slice that down and either use it as a sandwich thing or a sandwich loaf or as a, an actual dish that you ate. Tomato aspic was a popular thing, and it was kind of like tomato juice that was gelled and you could slice it and serve it as a sort of a side dish in a salad. And again, it was just a way to stretch your meal budget or the food that you had and do something with it that might be a little bit more pleasing than the normal, I suppose. And and Jell-O was a, I mean, those things have always been popular. Jell-O's have always been popular. And when when Jell-O was made popular was in the early 20th century because It looked fancy, and it was something that a homemaker could do that, you know, just add a little bit of elegance to your normal, boring, everyday life. So a lot of these things that I collected, well, all of these things that I collected were very geared towards homemaker because that was such a popular thought after. um, And we kind of make fun of that, but really, when you think about it, after World War II and... You know, all of the things that went along with that, you know, people having to give up things, women having to go and work in factories, all the men being gone at war and uh, families being split up. When things sort of normalized after the war, people wanted to be in a family and take care of things and, you know, have this typical what we think of as the 1950s family setting. So homemaking went along with that. It was sort of, you look at it as a job. If you look at homemaking as a job, what it basically is, is you're taking money and spreading it as thinly as you possibly can. You know, you're being very frugal at the grocery store. You're probably gardening. You're probably going out and picking berries, kind of foraging. um, You're stretching your meal dollars. You're using leftovers. All those sorts of things go into homemaking, the science of homemaking which isn't appreciated as much now as it really should be. And um, I do have this one particular cookbook. It's called The Modern Family Cookbook, and it was originally written in 1942, updated in 1953, and it was created by two professors at the University of Chicago. And the whole thing is, it's a giant salute to homemaking, really. And it has all sorts of things like how to, how to make a diet, uh, for your family, how to create menus, why menus are important, how to shop, how to stretch your food dollar, how to buy good canned goods, you know, that sort of thing. How to correctly store food. It's, it's like a, I don't know, what would you say? It's like a textbook for... It's a textbook for a home ec class. For a home ec class, yeah. So this is actually a cookbook. And um, one of the things that cracks me up in this cookbook, it has some really interesting recipes. But there's a chapter called Meat sundries. So use your imagination and try to imagine what meat sundries might be. Well, what they are is all the things that we usually don't eat now. Liver. How to remove the skin and veins from liver is an important topic in this particular cookbook. And then how to cook liver. There's a recipe in here for a poor man's goose. So if you can't afford a goose, you can certainly afford a liver And make it into something like a goose. Oh, my gosh, that's hysterical. So there's lots of delightful liver recipes in here. Italian liver. (laughs) Liver a la gourmet, which is fancied up liver. Liver loaf. And, you know, all those sorts of things. Liver burgers. This is hysterical. I love these old cookbooks because they have all this sort of dare food in them, you know. So, when you go through, and, and then we get into the kidneys and, and the whatnots, this is my favorite all-time, my favorite recipe title ever. I don't think I'll ever have a more favorite one than this. You ready? Scrambled brains. It's a recipe in here for how to make scrambled brains. And guess what? It is brains, and they are scrambled. oh, it just... Oh, okay, well that's my, that's my, uh, the Modern Family Cookbook from 1953. I just love going through these books, though. some of the recipes, and, you know, occasionally you'll find a good recipe in an old cookbook like this, so, you know, it's, they're not worthless, and they're really entertaining, especially if you, you know, get a kick out of reading that kind of stuff, horror recipes. One of the things that I have, actually, in my collection of mixes is, comes from one of these oddball recipe books. It's like a 1960s-era recipe. It's a cheese ball that is coated in chopped hard-boiled egg. And it's a weird-looking thing, I do admit to that. But it is really, really good. Uh, Apparently, hard-boiled eggs must have been very popular in the 50s and 60s for anything, and I'll bet it was because eggs were kind of inexpensive, or you had chickens, you know, and you just always had eggs. So, my little... Odd Cheese Ball is called a Spicy Holiday Cheese Ball. It's available as a, a little mix packet, and it makes one cheese ball. And you just mix the contents of the packet with an 8-ounce cream cheese or a Neuf Châtel cheese, which is less fat cream cheese. It's a little softer. And you mix the ingredients with that and a tablespoon of Miracle Whipper mayonnaise. Mix that up together, and then you um, boil one or two eggs and chop them up and roll your cream cheese mixture in those eggs and then uh, let it chill in the refrigerator for a little while and serve to your amazed family and friends who see this little ball of chopped up egg and go, oh my gosh, what is that? And you say, oh, you, you're going to try it. You're going to love it. And they will because, I mean, my family can wipe out one of these cheese balls in about 10, 15 minutes. Well, we did, uh, was it for Christmas? We made a cheese log. Yeah, we made a cheese log for uh, a Yule log party. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, everybody liked it, so I guess that's my—that's uh, what my interest in these old cookbooks. Because every once in a while, you find a really cool old recipe like that in there, and you—and it's kind of weird, and you try it, and it's actually good. So, if you get a chance to pick up some of my cheese ball mix from Standing Chimney or one of the farm markets we go to, uh, make sure you give it a try. Or you can get it on our website; it's available to purchase there. So you might want to check that out. I have one that's a, it doesn't have a cover on it anymore. It's really old. It's so old, in fact, that whoever's cookbook it was actually sewed part of it together with thread. It's really old, and it appears to be from 1905. And what it is, it's a community cookbook, which is, like I said, one of the things I like to collect. So this is a 1905 cookbook from Clearfield, Iowa. And I don't know how I ended up with it. That's what we were talking about before we started. I don't know where it came from. I probably picked it up in somebody's old collection of cookbooks because I, I do that if I go to a yard sale or something. Or um, Well, this had to have come from something like that because it's in such bad condition. It couldn't have come from anywhere else. But this thing is fabulous. It's, it's uh, Like I said, it's from 1905. There's ads in it from all these little businesses in the community. So it's full of recipes that aren't written like a recipe. They're just a paragraph. And it says, uh, put all these things together and then do this. You know, kind of it's it's not, they're not like we would find recipes today. Does it have like any measurements? Um, No, but they assume that people knew how to cook, I guess. And people, you know, had some sense back then and could figure things out. So the ad on the front of this is for the uh, Clearfield Farmer's State Bank. And its assets exceed $250,000. So this is the place you want to put your money, folks. Oh, my gosh. We thank you for past favors. We solicit your business now. That's a part of their ad. There's an ad in here for Dr. Price's cream baking powder made from grapes. (laughs) I didn't know baking powder was, I don't know what it's made from, but grapes was not a thing that popped into my mind when I think of what baking powder is made from. We looked it up, and it was something like uh, baking soda, cream of tartar, and something else. Grapes was not one of the things. Maybe cream of tartar is made from grapes. I have no idea. But this says, 50 years, the standard for quality. No alum, ammonia, or other adulterant wholesome and nutritious except no substitute and this is from the P- price baking powder company of chicago so there's some recipes in here there's a recipe for an irish stew that's given by an irishman so that's kind of interesting this is the typical recipe this is a recipe for noodle soup okay I tried to make noodles one time and they cemented themselves to my table and I had to get a scraper like you remove wallpaper with to get them off my table. I literally had to scrape them off the table so I have never made noodles again. But here's a recipe for noodle soup. Wet with the yolks of four eggs. As much sifted flour as will make them into a firm paste. Roll it out very thin and cut into bands of about two inches in width. Dust with flour and place four of them One upon the other, cut them in the finest possible strips, separating with the point of the knife, and spread on dough board to dry before using. Drop them gradually into boiling soup, and in five minutes they will be done. Okay, so this is how you make noodle soup. They give you very lax instructions for making the noodles, and they have you drop them into hot soup, which, what's the soup? (laughs) So this woman assumes that you know all that and how to make noodles. This is just a really neat book. This is one of the ads in it. Many a cook blunders along trying to do fine cooking with rusty pans and kettles. The cheapest and most satisfactory way is to come and get some of our good quality tinware, graniteware, and enamelware. Hartman Brothers. There's dentist ads in here, hotels, all sorts of things. There's a really good ad in here for a doctor This is for Dr. L.U. Singer, M.D. Been here since the birth of Clearfield. Makes every disease a specialty. Call and get your stomachs cured when you eat all the concoctions in this book. (laughs) It's beautiful. Oh, my goodness. Pretty neat book. And this has, like, a lot of ads for all through the town. I mean, it's really kind of neat. And the recipes are just, they're just They're just fantastic. There's also some household tips in the back under a section called Facts Worth Knowing. So here's some facts that are worth knowing. How to sugar cure meat. Don't kill your meat later than the middle of January to ensure safety from flies. And don't kill too heavy of hogs. About 200 pounds is best. For 100 pounds of meat, take 4 quarts of salt, 2 pounds of brown sugar, one fourth pound of saltpeter and mix well take each piece of meat rub thoroughly with this mixture around the bone and joint then cover all the flesh side of the meat with the salt and lay on a shelf for six weeks just lay it up on a shelf somewhere for six weeks then after the six weeks is up shake off the salt and hang up to dry After smoking, wrap the meat in paper, put in sacks, and hang in a dark place. Okay. That explains a lot about 1905. Here's one. To remove ink spots. Moisten a cloth with warm water. Apply strong ammonia. Then follow with diluted phosphoric acid applied with a cloth. Rinse and lay in the sun to dry. Whoopee! That's... Pretty interesting. This is how to ventilate a room. Okay, so this apparently will purify the air in a room. Ready? Ready for this tip? Place a pitcher of cold water in the room. The colder, the more effective. It will make the air of the room pure, but the water will be entirely unfit for use. Just just from the pitcher sitting in the room? Apparently... I wonder what? if that works. I don't think it would work. <laughs> Do you think it would work? I can't see how it would work. Now this is this is I like this one to destroy ants. This is like making a bomb. Ants that frequent houses or gardens may be destroyed by taking flour of brimstone. Is that a thing? Flour of brimstone, half a pound. And potash, four ounces. I've heard of potash. I think you can get that. So if you can find the flower of brimstone and then mix it with some potash, then what you do is you put this over the fire until it's dissolved and united. Afterwards, beat them into a powder and put a little of this powder in water, and wherever, wherever you sprinkle it, the ants will fly the place. I think your house will blow up. Holy moly. This is just... Never use water from a reservoir for cooking. That's a good tip. This is a cure for faded goods. So I'm assuming this is fabrics or clothing or whatever. Faded goods can be made to look almost as bright as new by sponging with chloroform. (laughs) (laughs) So apparently either you sponge people who are going to be looking at your faded goods and maybe they will see them as shiny... Or you sponge them right on your faded goods. I just can't get over that one. That's delightful. Absolutely delightful. So that's my 1905 Clearfield Farmer's State Bank cookbook. That's a delight. We have a little cookbook here that came with uh, a electric skillet that has some interesting things in it, and one that came with the Tupperware. The Tupperware Grapefruit Cheese Parfait. That's That's always a winner grapefruit cheese parfait this is the presto pressure cooker which has recipes for bread and all sorts of things that you can cook in a pressure cooker who would have thought that you could cook this bread in a pressure cooker? yes they have all kinds of stuff i always thought they were just mainly for like roasts and stuff like that but they have i mean they have a recipe here for brown bread to make in there that's kind of interesting this is another one from, uh, pots and pans company, Guardian. And it's a cookbook that they would, they would go like door to door and sell these pots and pans, which a lot of people still have. They're ancient old pans. But they, uh, they would go door to door and sell those pans and then they gave a little cookbook with them in case you didn't know what the heck to do with your darn pans. That's kind of a neat thing. But one of the things, the importance of proper serving, you have to have eye appeal. So, you want to keep food hot to the last tasty morsel is a pleasing climax to the perfect meal. That's your advice in there. And it's kind of neat. They have their pans the, uh, pictured in here, their beautiful shiny pans. And you can order things out of this book, like if a handle breaks off. They tell you how to make coffee with their coffee pot. They show this beautiful stove with their beautiful food. It's just fabulous. You can even make a salad by making flowers out of tomatoes and using it to garnish a delicious, delicious salad. Oh, look, baked liver rolls. That's delightful. How to enjoy your new blender. That's an old one. So you can get your blender out and blend solids in it, it says. These little time-saving, you can make egg salad in your blender. There's a recipe for it in there. That's delightful. Another Presto skillet book. I love these. I just love these. Because Presto made... um, We actually have Presto coffee pot. And I remember when I was a child having the Presto iron. Uh, This is a recipe for the Hot Point electric range that tells you how to use your oven, your beautiful new oven that you just bought, and prepare all these delicious things that are pictured on the cover Just fabulous. Absolutely fabulous. Lots of really cool recipes in there. Then, my all-time favorite. The Foodorama Party Book. The Foodorama Party Book is a hardcover book that came with the Foodorama Refrigerator. This book has great pictures in it. This is from 1959. And all the recipes that are in there for anything cold, Tell you to put it together and put it in your Fudorama, whatever your Fudorama freezer compartment, your Fudorama, whatever. But there's all sorts of delightful tea sandwiches you can make. Lovely jello salads in this book. I'll have to put some pictures up there. Salami cornucopias for parties. Yes, you can take a salami and roll it up. To look like a cornucopia. And then fill it up with cottage cheese and chopped green olives. (laughs) Oh, oh boy. I hope I never get invited to that party. Here's the one I was looking for. This is the salad. These little salads, they look like little yellow lumps. I'm going to have to put pictures up. This is called the mustard salad mold. And you use unflavored gelatin and uh, dry mustard, which gives it its pretty yellow color. And then you add three eggs, slightly beaten, celery, green peas, pimento, watercress, or other salad greens. And you mold this baby, and it kind of looks like, um, I don't even know how to describe what that looks like. It's a yellow blob with red and green green. It it looks kind of like a a hotel omelet-free breakfast gone wrong. Yes. That's what it looks like, those fake omelets, or fondlets as we call them. So that's the Foodorama book. I have two other ones I'm going to throw in here for just for fun. Hawaii Cooks with Spam is a fabulous cookbook, but there's one thing in here that makes this cookbook so much better than all other cookbooks. Now, this is... These are recipes from Hawaii, so a lot of them are... Okay, most of them are Asian-themed recipes, and there's a recipe in here for something you may possibly have heard of. Where the heck is it? Well, actually, there's a lot of Japanese-themed recipes. Tempura with Spam. Okay, this is the this is the best recipe out of the Hawaii Cooks with Spam cookbook. Uramaki Spam Sushi. Okay? So this is sushi that is made with spam instead of fish or in, in addition to. Oh, no, no, instead of instead of fish. So, okay, there is a flying fish roe on the outside of this, but the fish you know, part of the sushi roll, like a, the uh, spring rolls or the California rolls, the fish part has been replaced with spam. <laughs> so, yes, that's a delightful recipe. That's that's a keeper there. Yeah, there's some there's some beauties. I'll close with the fine art of garnishing cookbook. There are some beautiful pictures in that. The 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 note on the front says from radish roses to watermelon whales. They actually have a <laughs> they actually have a um, Viking ship made out of a watermelon on the front cover of this book. So I'll definitely have to share a photo of that. But this book shows you how to use carving tools that came with it and um, had a garnishing knife. This is from 1978. So. Uh, It had a garnishing knife, spiral slicer, twin curl cutter, decorator tool, and a flex knife. With those tools, you can make radish pom-poms. You can make pickle fans. You can make... What was the eggplant one? Oh, an eggplant vase. You can make an egg frog. An egg frog, seriously. An egg chicken is in here also. A cucumber rose or a cucumber boat. You can do that. You can make a cucumber chain little chain links made out of your cucumber. If you ever had a need for that, you can have carrot curls. The beet section is pretty awesome because I've never heard of people being artistic with beets, but these beets were turned into a candy cane. I'm not exactly sure how, even looking at the picture. There's beet spirals, beet asters, beet roses. Oh, it's amazing. Apple birds. There's actually a page here called Do's and Don'ts and I would say don't do this. <laughs> oh my gosh. That this is this is I just love I'm just so glad to have the opportunity to share some of the silliness out of these cookbooks, but I just always thought it was such a great thing to collect because you can get cookbooks anywhere. But these are these are my little oddball ones that I enjoy, and I'm always looking for them. I actually have one that I couldn't find that's from a utensil that my mother got um, as a wedding present in the uh, early 1960s, and it's a tabletop griddle that is also a waffle iron, so it has these plates that change out. And the ad in it says on the front of the book... It shows the family at the table with this grill thing right in the middle, and all their plates are around it, and there's like four hamburgers cooking, and it says, cook food right at the table. Like, that's a really awesome thing to be (laughs) able to do, and then it has crazy recipes in there, but the, the things are called hamburger sandwiches. Because apparently, like, just a hamburger, that's not what they called it at that time. But I just always thought that was so hysterical, the idea that this thing is so convenient that you can actually cook right on your table. And you don't even have to walk all the way over to the stove or the grill, you know, because you're grilling right at your table. So I I thought that that is such a funny one. But I hope you enjoyed my little trip down memory lane with my old cookbooks and um, so don't pass them up if you see them I mean geez save them they're so they're so great and so fun if you're ever at a Goodwill or something and you see these old cookbooks snap them up because they're fun reading thanks a lot for listening I hope you've been watching our videos on our Facebook page we've been doing uh, on Mary Mac Bakehouse Facebook page we've been making vanilla and we're doing a series on the best ways to make vanilla we I'm, don't know them yet. It's we, don't an know them. Right, we don't know the experiment. We don't know. We've been jokingly call it "How to Save Money by Making Your Own Vanilla," and I um, already have like eighty six dollars into it. <laughs> so, so uh, you take a watch at those and see. You know, take a watch. What a dumb thing that was. Dumb. Take a look <laughs> at those and watch them. I don't know and see if you get anything out of them. But what we're going to do is when the vanilla's done, we're going to see what was the best way. So hopefully to avoid other people having to try and figure out what I had to try and figure out. Don't forget to check us out online at merrimackpodcast.com. We're on Twitter at Merrimack Facebook Merrimack Bakehouse, and Instagram at Merrimack Bakehouse. And we're also at a couple of farmer's markets in western Pennsylvania. We're at the Elwood City Farmer's Market, Saturday mornings from 8 to 12. And we're at the Lawrenceville Farmer's Market, Saturday afternoons from 1 to 4. So you can find us there. And you can find my mixes on our online store at com slash store. So thanks a lot for listening, if you did. And if you didn't, too bad for you.